Hello and welcome back to another edition of Friends of the Vine Wine Podcast. Glad you guys can make it back for episode 13. This is an interesting one because it's a snapshot of a window in time where I'm interviewing Jane, who is just recently got her Master Psalm designation. But as those of you who follow these kind of news events may realize that they have to go back for a retest because of some integrity issues with one of the candidates. So it's an interesting perspective because I just interviewed her a couple weeks ago. This is a few weeks after she went through the test and just found out she became a master psalm. And this is before she has to be retested. So there's a window of time right now that we are currently in where I've recorded this and she is just finished passing. That's where our conversation starts off. So it's an interesting episode in that sense. Hope you guys like it. And we start with a conversation about where she is right now. She's in Australia, where she is, what she's been up to, and the year that she just had. Let's get right into it. It's a pretty eventful year, I would say. Yeah, really busy year. It's been a, a crazy year. You know, it's funny. It's, it's, yeah, it's such a big year, but then it also, this exam requires so much of just you being able to sit down at a table and study or, you know, it, it takes a lot of, of patience. So it doesn't always feel crazy busy because, you know, my weekends would be, all right, well, I'm going to study for eight hours today and I'm going to study for eight hours tomorrow. Um, so it's this kind of weird mix of like a ton going on, but then having, you have to be able to kind of slow it down and just focus too. A bit of a grind too, because you know you have to put in the hours to to get to the level where you know that you're going to be successful. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, I I took the exam theory for the first time in 2015 and did not pass, and then took 16 off. I was planning to sit again in 17, and. Then I got offered um, this job in Australia and kind of with the move here and getting all set up um, my job here, didn't really have time to prepare. So really started studying hard again summer of 2017. So really was studying 20 to 30 hours a week for a year in addition to, you know, tasting tasting groups. Yeah, I was going to say that takes up a lot of time too, right? Yeah, absolutely. What What are you doing currently, or what were you doing when you moved out there? I work at a restaurant called Attica. I was, you know, I was kind of looking for a change. Um, I, I, you know, I was planning to to leave Eleven Madison Park in New York and um, and and study and and focus on some kind of projects, just take a little time off, and then this job came along and. We figured, you know, why not see another side of the world and um, and just really, yeah, a, amazing opportunity to kind of explore and work at a great restaurant. And it ended up being, you know, really positive in a lot of ways and not, not the least being that Australia really values kind of um, work-life balance. Mm. And I found 
it a lot easier to kind of find the time to, to study here versus when I was in the U.S. That's uh, that's an interesting point because if you don't have that, if you're if you're doing those seventy hour weeks and and you know you're you're like work wise, you're not finding the time to put into it's a full time job to, to it's like when you look for work, it's a full time job to look for a full time job. You know you're you're putting yeah. in all those hours, and then also the restaurants or whatever need you, need you as well, right? So. John did it. John, you know, passed theory, which is certainly the most time-consuming portion, while he was at 11 Madison Park. Um, but he's a lot better on. He's a lot better at kind of performing and functioning on little sleep than I am. You know, he was getting five, six hours of sleep most nights and working long days and studying on top of that. And you know, I have a lot of admiration for that, but it, I could not do it. Yeah. What? Forgive my ignorance, but you're, are you in Sydney or where are you right now? Uh, Melbourne. Melbourne, okay. A friend of mine uh, who's a psalm in Vancouver just moved to Sydney, Alex Anderson. She just moved to Sydney. She's uh, she's super young, but like on the on the upward trajectory, shall we say. So, <laughs> yeah. Did she, she move out to work at a restaurant or just kind of um, she, explore? She, yeah, it, she has work. Uh, she was kind of a little a little hush about it because I think she still she was still finalizing everything. You know what I mean? So she didn't want to you know throw it out there just yet in case it fell through. Fair enough. So, yeah. <laughs> um, I haven't I haven't heard from her since since she got there. Uh, she just just posted a couple of things. She just sent me her her phone number her her Australian phone number. So, but you know what I mean? Like you don't want to throw too much out there. It's like when you go travel, you don't want the you don't want to throw it out there before you get on the plane because then it's like, you know, jinx it. You, we call it the curse of the Facebook gods, right? You put it on Facebook and then it doesn't. Facebook gods, you know, hammer you for for putting it out there. You know. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny. I definitely felt that in moments in my kind of, um, you know, journey this past year of like how public do I want to be with things, and I think some people you know, don't even tell their friends they're taking the exam because they just want to be under the radar and they don't want it to be a big deal if they don't pass. But I found that when I kind of got to the point where I wanted to be public with things, that was a really good sign because it meant I was, I felt like I was prepared, you know? Yeah, Um, you had that confidence going in. Obviously, you felt like you were going to succeed. Yeah, I mean, it's hard. You just don't, you don't really know. And this exam tends to eat people up and spit them out. And I don't think anyone goes in thinking, yeah, I'm going to smoke this. There's, you know, I got this sort of thing, but you definitely have to go in with confidence too. Um, or there's no way on any of the sections to succeed. And I think, I think you also have to go in with a level of humility too and i think the test really aims to to capture those people who kind of have a true sense of humility and hospitality as well you have to have your self-confidence because especially like the blind i mean even the theory anything you have to have that confidence to say no this is what this is right this situation i'm 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 right in it and i just have to go with my gut and and know that you're making the right decision on things yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think probably no, you know, that's no more true than in service as well, where you just have to, 
you have to trust that you know how to handle every situation and make guests feel comfortable and, and handle the wine in the best possible way. And if you are constantly second guessing yourself, I think that's when people really run into trouble in that section. You know, I graduated college in Chicago and I was planning to go to grad school and um, study English literature and, and kind of go into academia. I was going to take a year off, didn't want to kind of write my applications while I was still in school. So I applied for a job with admissions at my college and didn't get it. And that was kind of, you know, at that point I was like, well, shit, I just need a job, you know. So, I, you know, I was looking on Craigslist and found an ad for a wine shop. I didn't know much of anything about wine, but, you know, I thought, hey, that, that could be really fun and interesting and, you know, a good way to spend a year was kind of my thought. I applied. I got along really well with the manager who, to this day, is a very good friend of mine. She hired me. They didn't ask me a single question about wine. <laughs> and, um, you know, I... I don't, I don't think many people like this feeling, but I definitely don't like that feeling of being unprepared or not good at something. So I really hit the books and, and tried to kind of get up to speed. At the same time, was, I was also working at a big research library in Chicago and kind of holding that kind of academic path as, as a, the plan. And I just, I realized at a certain point that, you know, I was coming home from work and I wasn't wanting to read literature or do research in kind of that field, but I just really wanted to spend time learning about wine and spirits and, and all of that. So, you know, when it came time to work on grad school applications, just wasn't where my heart was. So said, well, I'm going to follow this and keep doing this for the moment. And, and so that was, you know, that was kind of that. And I really just figured I'm going to keep doing it as long as I enjoy it. And that's never changed. <laughs> I've always enjoyed it. And I've always found kind of different avenues in the industry. Um, so yeah, it wasn't kind of one, one moment at all, but kind of just a, just a like, well, why would I do anything else? This is fantastic. You know, I took the intro exam in 2010, I think, in Chicago. And that was kind of just a, some other people from work were doing it. Yeah, why not? Kind of, I, I had, you know, at that point, didn't really think about being a master sommelier or really following that path too deeply. I took the certified in 2012. And again, it kind of just like, at that point, it was still seem like just the thing to do, you know, that like, well, I've been working in this field for a while. This is, you know, I, sh I should have this certification. That was still kind of my mentality at that point. And then when I moved to New York in 2013, that was when, that was when I got really serious about it. And I think more than anything, I just loved, I loved the community in New York. And I just wanted to be part of the community that was preparing for exams. So, you know, started going to tasting groups and had some study groups with friends and um, really was meeting all kinds of amazing people. That's how John and I met, you know, and also participating in competitions where I kind of first felt like, okay, like I have a, a lot to learn, 
and I, I want to learn it. You know, I want, I would see the people I was competing against and the people judging these competitions. And I, you know, I was like, I want to be at that level. So then, yeah, I took the advance that year and with, you know, at that point I was all in, I was, I knew I wanted to take the masters too. What was it about that? Was it just knowing how much you were already invested or just knowing from the, for the sake of, were you thinking this is something I can do or this is something, this is, like you said, this is the, the greatest achievement from a designation perspective. You know what I mean? For me, it was kind of largely about, um, well, a few things. I think kind of pushing myself, at, you know, fully in, in terms of developing my own tasting and service and, and theory skills and really wanting to be, you know, for me, if I'm going to do something, I want to do it as well as I possibly can. Yeah. Um, so that was part of it. And then I think also also the, the community was a huge part of it and just wanting to be you know, eventually part of the community that was mentoring and giving back and teaching. But in the meantime, part of the community that was studying and learning and, you know, building each other up. And that was just, um, you know, such a a positive experience and something I didn't want um, to let go. You find out you're a master psalm. When did you realize how big it was, Just not just for yourself, but just like you said, about being part of that community and having so many people on that one day get to ring that bell, you know what I mean? You know, I think it was super special. I think, you know, I passed with a lot of people who I'd, you know, worked with, been on uh, the TV show with, done competitions with, um, you know, gone to Texom with, just like, just spent all this time with over the years. And it's cool to be able to, to share that with so many people. And I think usually on that day, if you pass, you're, you know, just one of a few and everyone else there is pretty unhappy. (laughs) Um, So to be, you know, in a group where there's more people kind of who reached their goal was pretty special. But at the same time, still over half of the people there in St. Louis, not to mention all the people who didn't pass theory that year, you know, a lot of... um, you know, for lack of a better word, heartbreak too, where, you know, all of this culmination of, of a year's work, a lifetime's work and not kind of getting the result you wanted. So it's always a little bittersweet, I think. And, you know, that's no different with 24 or four people passing. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I, I like how you said that there's a lot of people that you've kind of grown up with, shall we say in, in the, in the community, like Morgan and Dana and this, this group, that, like you said, that you've, uh, was there, any, was there other people that for you personally was, you were really attached to, or really, really invested in seeing them pass? You know what I mean? Honestly, like in that group of people, there are 56 people there. I would say like half of them, at least I felt kind of a strong personal, you know, attachment to investment in, um, however you want to say it, I think, you know, Jill Zamorski is an amazing person and someone I've looked up to in the Somalia community and, um, seeing her get through was, was, um, really amazing. She's just such a incredible person and professional. Um, Josh Orr, uh, he, he and I met at Topsom Nationals in 2013 I was way out of my league. I hadn't even taken the advance yet. I was, 
yeah, I just was was leagues beyond everyone else. But he was so sweet and really took an interest in me passing the advanced and really helped me through that. So to pass on the same day with him was really, really cool. Mia and Andrew, we've, you know, known for a long time in New York. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, they're interesting too, because they're another sommelier couple. And John and I were lucky enough to never have one of us fail a test the other one passed, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Um, we kind of alternated years. Um, and so I have a lot of admiration and respect for them for kind of doing it together. And, you know, Mia passed that day and Andrew didn't, and he really looked like he could not have been happier with the result, which was very, very sweet. Yeah. I mean, of course, Morgan and Dana from the TV show, I'm trying to think of, of who else was there. Liz Dowdy, I think is incredible. And she, I met at Top Som in 2012 when I knew even less and she, you know, she just was always an example of like someone who is so poised and knowledgeable at such a young age. And, um, she was really an inspiration to me. There was someone else I wanted to mention. Oh, Eric Crane. Right. I don't know if you've ever talked to Eric, but he's just, he is the, he is the light of the Somalia community. He's just such an amazingly, positive giving person and i think the day he passes will be an amazing day um seeing max Katz pass was incredible he you know i think this was his eighth time and just that to me is a whole different skill set and yeah. and that kind of resilience and determination per- perseverance. Is, yeah. exactly is is absolutely incredible it's you know it's funny we always really celebrate the the person who gets the Krug cup or whatever it is. And, and that's certainly an amazing achievement, but I think to, to not pass you you know, for so many years and come back and do it to me that I, I can't imagine a greater achievement. Like that is just the most impressive thing in the world to me. Pretty incredible group of people. Well, and, and like you mentioned, like I'm, I'm a big advocate of, of training and passing on, uh, in my in my work field, that we have got a lot of new new young staff who need those mentors and need those people to to um, you know you pass on the, your years of, of experience and years of wisdom, right? So that's another fun side of it now, where you can start passing on to the younger. Not that you haven't been, but that you can start officially you know passing on to exactly exactly i think it you know now you have to listen to to me (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly no i think you you know you try to pass it pay it forward at every point but there's definitely you know a lot more time now to do that when i'm not kind of nose in the books 20 hours a week and um but i think it's also really important to to keep learning and keep growing and i think you know, I don't think any master sommelier is like, yeah, I've, you know, I got this. I know everything there's to know about wine. Like the wine world is so vast, um, and changing all the time. So really to stay up on things, it's important to really kind of continue to, to stay invested in the community and, and your own knowledge and, and, you know, tasting skills and service skills, those all can, dull over time and it's important to kind of keep them up 
is there a wine right now that you're feeling, you know, you're really enjoying and really is really speaking to you? I think both John and I have, have kind of fallen in love with Grenache since yeah. being in Australia. The Australian versions are, um, you know, classically Australian Grenache was like 16% alcohol and really oaky and like really eucalyptusy, and that's still out there, but more and more you're seeing kind of these like delicate, mm-hmm. pretty, you know, still 13 and a half percent alcohol yeah. you know it's not it's not gamay you know it's yeah. a grape that has alcohol and yeah. that's kind of part of it it's it's character but um but just more kind of open and and, and pretty and pure and we've really really love those and i think it's made us also go back and kind of revisit chanel de pop or more humble grenache from france and and kind of have a, a new pre- appreciation for that as well it's funny you say that because my my cousin actually was a winemaker in Australia for she's back now in Canada, but she actually worked at Chapel Hill, and uh, okay. in uh, in McLarenville, and that's that I've had her Grenache here and I've had it shipped out, and uh, yeah, that's just an amazing wine. We've been very very impressed. Um, you know, across the board, smaller producers, bigger producers, a lot of of really amazing styles. Um, I think, I mean, that's the, I think that's the fun part about wine is it's taken me a long time to kind of develop appreciation for a lot of different styles and, and some I still haven't even gotten to, you know, where I kind of for a while just drank very narrowly what I liked to drink. And I think it's really fun when you can just kind of delve into a different category that you've never really known too well, never had too much of an appreciation for, and just really figure out what makes that region tick and what makes those wines special. Um, Bo wants to say hi. <laughs> oh, hi. <laughs> I think wine trips are good for that too because, you know, if you go to Bordeaux, you're going to drink a lot of Bordeaux, and maybe that wasn't your favorite thing before. When you, for a week, just drink that straight, you're able to really kind of pull out the nuances and the difference between styles and which ones you like better and which ones you don't like as much and just get a, a, a more clear understanding for kind of what makes those wines what they are. Um, and that, you know, I'm looking forward to even as I continue my career and um, is just kind of delving into more regions like that and finding kind of the appreciation of everything. Finding, finding the differences. Yeah, and just finding, like, um, sorry, she's hitting the computer. Because I think it's easy when, if you don't drink wines from a region, to to kind of be like, oh, yeah, all, all of those wines kind of taste alike. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, like, I don't really like Malbec, or I don't really like Carmenere. Like, those wines just kind of all really taste alike. Mm-hmm. But when you really get into it, and you really can kind of taste the, the difference the different wines and a variety and, and and really see what's going on in the region, you realize how nuanced kind of all of them are, um, you know, all of the regions, which is pretty cool. Are you, are you collecting at all yourself? Do you have any, do you have a collection? Do you have a, a, a large wine cellar at all? Or John and I put about, we have about 25 cases in storage in New York. So we were collecting quite a bit before we left New York. 
being here, it's not quite so easy. We still actually have been buying a little bit of wine in New York and sending it to our storage facility, but we have not been trying to accumulate wine in Australia because we don't want to have to move it back. <laughs> so, so yeah, that's kind of been on hold a little bit. You know, it's, it's, I think something that John and I, if we move back to the States and we kind of settle down and we have a house and we have a place to put stuff, it's something that we would be interested in kind of exploring. We would kind of, I think, really be selective about kind of aging, putting down the things that you really can't find with much age, that's harder to find with age. So it wouldn't necessarily be your like Barolo, Grand Cru Burgundy, Bordeaux, that sort yeah. of thing. Yeah. It would be like... Vouvray and Beaujolais and things that you just don't really see in the market with age on it. Uh, but we're excited to go back and see what we have inside that storage unit. It's kind of good. It forces you to not drink things, just hands off for a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I belong to a wine club in Canada that it literally takes them about four or five months for your stuff to show up. It's like, you know, you'll see it and you, you forget what you've ordered and then you'll get it. And it's just like, right. oh, yeah, right. I, I totally forgot. Cool. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's it, it literally when you buy it, it's almost within a within a month. It's getting it's getting shipped out from the from the supplier, but it still has to make it to this side of the world and go through customs and go through the ports, you know, all that stuff. So maybe not five months, but maybe three or four months, but it's still a good a good time that you've completely forgotten what you bought and you know yeah and you have to pay attention to your stock otherwise you know this you run out you run out if you're waiting on something then you start running out so yeah it's true gonna keep it keep the levels up yeah <laughs> i think we'll leave it there for now i because i know there's some stuff i want to ask you but it's more it's more stuff for you and john i'd love to do another you know, like a part two or whatever you want to call it with, with when John gets back from holidays and stuff. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. But um, I want to, I want to put this out just as, as our chat together as its own separate one. And then when John's around, then we can do another one. Cool. Sounds good. I think we're going to leave it there for now. Thanks for listening. For more wine conversation and podcast updates, you can follow us on Instagram at Ian's Wine Truths. Check out our website for great photos of our guests, friendsofthevine.podbean.com. Take care. Have a glass for me.